You're on the panel, RNZ National, David Farah and Zoe George, joining me this Monday afternoon. Well, more incredible action at the Commonwealth Games 2022, an extraordinary day uh, for cycling. And New Zealand cyclist, cyclist Aaron Gate picked up his fourth gold medal of the Birmingham Commonwealth Games, winning the 160-kilometre road race in a sprint finish. New Zealand now has 19 gold medals at... Um, Bet was actually beating the previous Hall of 17 at the 1990 Auckland Games. And in the squash too, Joel King and Paul Cole claimed gold in the mixed doubles, upsetting home fans by destroying the hosts. Here's the winning moment broadcast on Sky Sport. Oh, they've done it. They've done it. Paul Cole and Joel King have got the gold. Well, with us is Stuart Davenport, former professional squash player from New Zealand. He reached the world number three ranking in 1987, British under 19 and under 23 champions. Stuart, it's lovely to have you on the panel. Yeah, thanks a lot. Nice to be here. Yeah, so watching this, bit of a dream result for them? Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing result, isn't it? I mean, they've... Um you know that that you could argue that it was expected in the respect mm. that they were the you know world ranking wise. If you look at their cumulative world rankings, it was was quite a lot better than the guy the the, the peer that they played. But you know they still actually have to go out and do it. So um, it was a great result. It really was. And they really swept aside their peer, didn't they? We're talking to Alison Waters and Adrian Waller, eleven three, eleven six. I think in what twenty six minutes. Is this the usual form? You know, one of you know real dominance. I mean, when you say usual form, doubles isn't played that often, um, and right. so there's a, there's a degree. You know, you don't really know what to expect as a spectator, and you don't really know what to expect as a player because certain combinations are are, are untried, and some can be really good, and some can just not work. Um, but you know, I, I think that the main advantage was that Joelle King's so strong on the women's side. You know, inevitably yeah. what happens is that the women get targeted, um, and uh, Joelle is so strong and physically she's so strong on the court that, you know, from where I'm sitting, I think that was the real, the, the real um, difference between the two, the two pairs. Joelle's just, you know, she looks a lot stronger than the, than the, than the girls that have been, um, um, that they've been competing against. Yeah. Oh, we've got a um, stuff sports podcast with us, Zoe. Uh, <laughs> jump on in. Yeah, I mean, it was a lovely recovery from Joelle King, who was unable to win bronze um, late last week. And it was just, it was so wonderful to, to, to watch her win. Um, how do we go, how do we pick ourselves up from, you know, from losing the bronze to, to winning the gold? How do you get your head back in, in that game when you're at that top level? Yeah, so that's that's the real question because what people don't see about sports, they see you tend to see the the ups all publicised. You know, when you <laughs> see people winning and everyone goes, "Oh wow, what a victory!" But they don't see the downs so much. And Joelle had a really really hard week last week, you know, and and your confidence drops. So you know, I just think it's you know for me. Paul Cole is a great player, but for me, the star of the show is Joelle. And on the and for the for the reason that you have stated is that she had to come back from a real struggle last week. So so you know, Paul won't like hearing this, but Joelle King's the the, the hero of the day, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'll, I'll come to you, David, very shortly. But 
And you by the have... way, Paul Cole, Paul Cole gets enough attention anyway. Time <laughs> for Joel to have a, have a bit. Yeah, yeah, kia ora, Stuart. Um, you have said before that the psychological and mental side of squash is just so important. Of course it's important in other, in other sports, in other codes, but squash, very much so. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and you, it's one of those things you can't see from the outside. You know, when you're watching as a spectator, you just don't know how much, um, you know, how, how, how important the psychological side is. You know, I used to say to people, um, when you're thinking about squash, I always likened it to a competition. When you were a kid, do you remember your kid in the bath who used to have a competition to see who could hold their, <laughs> hold their breath longest underwater? So it's yeah. like that. If you won the last one through holding your breath the longest, then you've got a good chance of winning the next one. If you've lost the last one, it's really hard mentally to get up and win the next, the next one. So, you know, it, it's a little bit like that. You know, you, you've got to... You've really got to go in and say, hey, I can do it next time, even though I got hammered last time. And that's a difficult thing to do. David Fowler. And we should keep oh, this sorry, in mind when we, we should keep this in mind when we talk about the All Blacks soon. Yes. I thought you were going to say keep it in mind when you're in the bath next. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you worry. I love holding my breath under the, under, under, in, in my bath tonight there, Stuart. Uh, David. <laughs> Well, look, we're lucky that, that I think we're up to 19 gold medalists now over the games. The one that still strikes me as the most amazing is Dame Sophie Pascoe is still winning gold medals. She's been winning gold medals for half her life. And she's almost 30 now. And Zoe will know this far better than me. But as I understand, um, swimmers often peak in their teens or early 20s. So we've had so many amazing performances, but I actually think to still 14, 15 years on from her first gold medal, uh, that Dame Sophie for me has been that, that standout. Yeah, she was just incredible. Uh, and speaking of Paralympians, um, there was a young guy, 17-year-old called Josh Wilmer, who won the gold in the SB8 breaststroke. And he, when he walked out up to the starting blocks, it turns out he'd listened to a bit of Metallica before he came out, so he was all amped <laughs> and ready to go. And when he won, he was it was just this joy that was infectious. Um, the other thing that I think is definitely worth noting is the success of particularly the women's cycling given what has happened in the last 12 months. Tomorrow marks uh, exactly one year to the day of the suspected suicide of Olivia Podmore. And then mm. we've had the review, and out of that review it came out and you know, it was said that putting results and medals above athletes um, as humans is detrimental to their mental health and well-being, that you know, women's health wasn't taken seriously. You know, women really were not treated well in this environment. And so to see them go and do so well, you know, at least Andrew's three medals, just incredible. I'm just, yeah. I'm so pleased for them. I'm so pleased for them. Yeah, kia ora Zoe. Um, just a, a newsflash here, the government has announced that a celebration and a welcome home uh, of the country's Commonwealth Games athletes. Uh, Prime Minister Ardern says the public is welcome to meet returning athletes at the Auckland International Airport Hall as they come off their uh, 11.20 and 12.20pm flights uh, and goes on to say it's we're in a golden era of high performance sport. What do you make of that, Stuart? Yeah, well, it certainly seems as though, you know, that, 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 that we are. I mean, I... I, I 
I, um, I, I, it's interesting when you talk about the, the sportsmen coming back into a reception, the squash players won't be there because they've actually got to go and earn a living. You know, they've got to yeah. go and, and, you know, they're professional athletes. Um, so they won't be there. They'll be out uh, earning, you know, trying to earn a living. Um, but look, it certainly looks as though, uh, we're, we're, we're in a, in a, at a great time as far as he's in sport is concerned. Certainly the medal tally would say so. It's really great to have you on the program, uh, Stuart. Thanks for being with us. Great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that is uh, former World 3 uh, number one. That, in 1987, he reached the world. Sorry, he reached the, he, he reached the world number three ranking in 87. That is squash player former squash player Stuart Davenport. Now, I just want to mention this because this has come up this afternoon. Uh, we'll cross to the National Party's Youth Unemployment Police soon, policy soon. But first, Stuff is reporting that National MP Sam Ufendale was asked to leave prestigious King's College after a violent nighttime beating of a younger boy. He's the National Party's newest MP after winning the Tauranga by-election. Sam Ufendale was 16 at the time, fifth form, I think, and the victim was 13 and multiple attackers were involved. Um, I, I know that I haven't sort of told you I'd raise this, David, but this has just come through, and I wanted to get your uh, thoughts, or both of your thoughts. Um, it happened many years ago, David Farah, but violence is very serious. What do you think? Yeah, look, I've just seen the story today, and I guess if you split into the personal and the political, one should only have all the sympathy in the world for the then 13-year-old boy. It sounded like a terrible attack, well beyond sort of, I guess, your standard bullying that sometimes happens at school. And the way he talks about how SCADA has left him and the impact has had on him um, is greatly powerful. From the political side... I don't think you judge someone in their 40s based on the worst thing they ever did, especially the worst thing they did as a 16-year-old. And it seems that he had apologised some stage before seeking the nomination. He did declare the incident to National so they were aware of it and they didn't think it disqualified him. So Raoul, obviously, politically, no That's one true. wants to be involved in a story like that. And this. the police weren't involved Unless either. He- I'm, but I just want to ask you, because this isn't the the first time that you've had a, the Nationals had issue with candidates, William Wood, as an example, apologising after a photo emerged of him posing as Hitler when he was 14. Didn't Nationals say they were improving their background checks of candidates? Well, this one, it did come out presumably self-disclosed during the check. So there was a deliberate decision made that what you did as 16 shouldn't disqualify you. And you think you that's the right ever. decision? You think he should be there? Well, I I do think that is the right decision based on what we know. Um, when I think what life is about is that people get judged by the totality of what they've done, not the worst thing they've ever done. Let's bring Zoe into it. And uh, sorry to spring the story on you, Zoe, but uh, from what you've been yeah. reading, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I find it incredibly unacceptable. This person is meant to be a representative of us. Um, and, you know, it's the it's one of the same things when we talk about the All Blacks soon as well. You know, it's the same thing with the All Blacks. I, I really like the All Blacks, but one of the things I don't like is the fact they continue to select people, men who have been domestically violent towards their partners. Um, so, yeah, but, I, I'm not okay, this is 20, not okay with this. This is, 20 years, this is 22 years ago. <laughs> I'm still not okay with it. No, I'm still not okay with it. 
No. I'm sure we'll hear, be hearing more about this uh, story uh, anyway, but uh, there you go. 19 past four, the panel, RNZ National. And the National Party is vowing to get more young people off the job seeker benefit uh, through coaching and sanctions. Under this carrot and stick policy announced at their AGM over the weekend, those aged under the age of 25 who have been on a benefit for more than three months would be assigned a dedicated job coach to help them get into work. However, those do not follow their uh, those that don't follow their agreed plan, meaning they don't turn up for courses, apply for jobs, or engage with their jobs coach, would face sanctions. So for Thoughts on this, we have youth housing team leader with LifeWise and member of Monarchy Rangatahi, Aaron Hendry, who is working, has worked with youth, so we thought he'd be the person to uh, get on uh, the panel. Tenakwe, Aaron? Sure. How you doing? Good. What do you think of the incentives? A coach and a thousand bucks bonus for those who find work after spending 12 months on the benefit. Yeah, look, one of the good things about this policy is this focus on getting, you know, tailored support and someone who comes alongside um, our young people. And that's something that we think, you know, we're really positive about. That's something that's really important. You know, we've seen that sort of approach work with the youth payment, you know, youth workers that come alongside our young people and provide them with sort of wraparound support. So that's good. Um, I guess, you know, if we're going to critique something, it would be the sanctions um, and the incentives. And and for us, that sort of just doesn't acknowledge the context that our young people um, are dealing with, you know, sort of where they are in their lives and the challenges that they are facing, which which are immense, you know, from our perspective. Um, you know, we see young people that are experiencing homelessness that are dealing with some really complex challenges. Um, the reason they're on their payment is because of these challenges. So, you know, we need to do a bit more around focusing around why a young person is accessing the benefit and then responding appropriately. But doesn't some of these some of these aspects, some, doesn't some of this policy actually speak to that? Like trying to understand uh, what is um, making people be on the job seeker for a certain amount of time, and then um, you've got a job coach to go to. So you sit down and you work a one-to-one plan, get you into work. Yeah, so that, so that's a good side of it, right? Having that job coach or a youth worker that comes alongside, like that's great. Um, but also there's some of those bigger issues that also need to be addressed, and that's where sanctions just aren't proven to be effective because, you know, if there's a young person who's living on the street, they're experiencing homelessness, they don't have safe or stable housing, um, getting into work is, is going to take a lot more um, support before we can get there. So, you know, we also need to look at those contextual issues um, and respond appropriately to those as well as that sort of side-by-side support. All right, I'll get Zoe and uh, David to come in, and then you can respond, Zoe. Yeah, I'm just having a look at the net weekly benefit for those 18 to 24, and it varies from about $233 to $274 a week. And there's a gross weekly income cut-off point as well of about $500 to $550 a week. Um, so my question is, how many young people of their age are on these benefits? Um, and, you know, what can we do to try and help them more than this? Yeah, look, I probably don't have the, the exact number for you there, but you know, in terms of like supporting our rangatahi, um, you know, I guess once again, it's tailored support for young people. So this is, you know, a good part of the the plan. You know, having that employment coach or a youth worker that comes alongside, that's good. Um, but we need to look at the context. We need to look at our communities and, and why are young people in these situations? And some of them is, you know, there is not, a, you know, there's a lack of stable, safe housing for a lot of young people. Um, young people experience homelessness um, at a disproportionate rate to any other population in Aotearoa. You know, we need to start addressing that um, and ensuring that, you know, we're also dealing with those sort of uh, mental health um, challenges that other, you know, some young people are experiencing. 
Aaron, before I go to David, can I just ask you, it's, mm. I mean, do you know, have you met anyone, have you met a young person who doesn't want to work, uh, who actually is just fine being on the job seeker's benefit, just saying, I'm actually okay here, I'm not really actually that interested in working? You know, to be honest, um, you know, I've been serving young people for you know a while now, um, over ten years, and you know, I've never met a young person that didn't really want to have um, some sort of meaning or purpose to their life. Often, they have um, you know huge dreams and aspirations for what they want to achieve in their lives, but lack the support or have been disempowered because of their experiences in life. And so, that's where having someone in their corner that can believe in them, that can support them, that can stand alongside them—that's really important. Um, and we also need to ensure that their environments are safe so that they can right. thrive. David. What interests me, and I'll get a bit geeky here with the data, but normally the number of people on the job seeker benefit is highly correlated to the unemployment rate. One goes Mm. down, the other goes down, one goes up, the other goes up. But for the last five years, they've totally diverged. Unemployment's dropped to its lowest ever level, but we've seen this increase of 50,000 more people on the job seeker benefit. And the answer, it would seem, unless there's a better answer, I'm hoping you have one, is that the getting rid of the sanctions may have led to that divergement. Uh, so I'd be interested if you've got a view on if it's not getting rid of the sanctions, why you've had an increase in people on the job seeker benefit, yet the lowest ever unemployment on record. Yeah, look, I, I, I personally haven't seen sections really be all that successful um, in supporting young people to, um, you know, make progress in their lives or to sort of reach their aspirations and their goals. Um, you know, I think there is some really big things that are happening in our society over the last few years. You know, challenges around inequality, COVID, um, discrimination for young people in terms of trying to access employment. Um, there's a whole range of reasons um, and, and challenges that young people specifically face navigating our world today. Um, and so, you know, where I've seen success is when you actually sit down with that individual young person, figure out what's going on in their lives, and then we're able to provide them with the support they need, the appropriate tailored support that they need. And so this is where I'd say, like, there's a good part to this plan that National Putting Forward, having, having that support, you know, come alongside, that's great. Um, but, you know, when it's linked to sanctions, then it can also create a perverse result where we're actually not um, supporting young people to, to engage in a, in a way that is healthy and, and supportive of them. Good to have you on the program, Aaron. Kia ora. That's Aaron Hendry there, uh, the youth housing team leader with LifeWise and member of Manaki Rangatahi. It's 26 past four. Okay, so I was at lunch at a friend's yesterday. They lit the fire, and the fire didn't need topping up with wood all afternoon. It was an upside-down fire, kindling and paper at the top of a wood pile, and... It was just extraordinary, so much so that we had to ask the host, uh, <laughs> uh, what's your fire about? Uh, it just keeps burning. So what happens is you get a fire lighter and some newspaper, you build up some kindling around it, you light the fire, it might go out. Often it does, and you go back every 20 minutes. But you have, this is another way of doing it. It's called the upside-down fire. To explain, we've got a listener with us who knows all about it. Uh, Ronya, kia ora, welcome to the panel. So explain more. Tell us about the upside down fire. Well, when you were talking about this, I immediately had to think of my dad and I've got this warm and fuzzy feeling because um, my dad was very passionate about lighting his fire in something called a Kachelofen back in my um, homeland of Germany. Kachelofen. um, Yes, that's right. And literally means tiled oven. 
And it's a really common thing in old farmhouses where you would have um, a kakaloffen in every stube. So like the main room, I guess we now call it, you know, open plan living, kitchen, dining and living room. And um, it's basically a big cavity um, that has a wood burner on the inside. And the outside of the cavity is tiled with these decorative tiles. And it's got a wooden bench seat that sort of runs along the outside. Usually that sits in a corner. Yes. Um, and so when you light the wood burner, um, the whole cavity warms up. And then you can sit on the bench seat with your back against these lovely warm tiles and just get all snugly up after a hard day of work. On top of the wood burner is a cavity where you can, um, you know, throw in dinner, and then you can dry your socks on top of the oven as well. Right. So. Okay. So the same principle. Uh, you you light yep. the uh, Zoe. You, you light the uh, <laughs> fire at the top. <laughs> the candle. It's too weird. This is too weird. But it's apparently it's, it's life changing. So you yeah. light the it, you're kindling at it, the top. Yes. Yep. Ronya. Yeah, that's right. And what else do you do? You t- that's it. And how, how, how does the wood burn? It just lasts forever and ever. I mean, it's the same principle as any um, wood burn, I guess, with the flu creating a suction. I mean, I'm no scientist. I can't explain the physics of it. But it just um, burns really slowly. And um, I guess at a slightly lower temperature, you know, yeah. when you normally you build your normal fire and then Let's- you have to rip open all the windows because it gets too hot. Let's bring in our panellists. Zoe, have you heard of this? Uh, yes, uh, and I learned how to build one when I was in Brownies and Girl Guides. Oh, there you go. Girl Guides, there you go. <laughs> Coming back to Girl Guides. Wow. So you know all about the upside down fire? I do, I do. They're, they're very good for toasting marshmallows, just saying. David Farrer? <laughs> no, I, I was a scout, and we have a fireplace that's been game for most of the last two months, but. This is all new to me, so I'm going to try putting this into practice from tomorrow and happy to report back how it goes. Hey, Ronya, thanks for being with us here on the panel. Yeah, thanks, Wallace. Uh, So the Upside Down Fire, I wouldn't, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed um, it would have worked. But I was there sitting in front of this fire for three hours and it burned nonstop and no one needed to put a wood on.